My name is Harrison Wheeler, and this is Technically Speaking. This show is recorded live in San Francisco and produced in collaboration with Dave Clark at Studio Pod Media. Our show coordinator is Deanna Marinci, with additional editing and music presented by Notalab. This episode of Technically Speaking is sponsored by Automatic, the people behind WordPress.com, Jetpack, WooCommerce, Tumblr, and more. Automatic's 1,400 people hail from 79 countries and speak 99 languages. Their open source software products democratize publishing and commerce so that anyone with a story can tell it and anyone with a product can sell it, regardless of income, gender, politics, language, or country. More than 1 billion people use Automatic products every month. Automatic also contributes directly to WordPress, the open source project that powers over 40% of websites on the internet. If you're ambitious, energetic, and driven by a passion to help people, you can make a visible, profound, and lasting difference working at Automatic. Visit automatic.com to check out the latest job listings today. That's A-U-T-O-M-A-T-T-I-C.com. Hey, everybody. My name is Harrison Wheeler, and thank you for joining me on this episode of Technically Speaking. My guest today is Rafe Chisholm, formerly known as the Design Generalist. Where are you at now? What do you label yourself? Or is it hashtag no labels? You know, it could be that, too. It's funny because, like, for me, when I first really decided to, like, shift into product design, I was coming from this experience. I was at Delta Airlines. I started out front-end development, so I wasn't even in design initially. I then picked up content strategy and then digital asset management, which was like, okay, cool. And then finally, I started working on the iPad app, and that's when it was like, oh, I'm a generalist now because now I'm like designing on top of these other things. And then after I left that role, everyone's like, we don't call that. It's product design out here. <laughs> but you know, when you sit down at your, at your desk and you're working on something, then you start seeing all the pieces and all the things that aren't always being considered. So while I'm a product designer, I'm always like reaching for other pieces of the experience. So it's maybe you could still call me that, you know? Yeah. The wide purview. Yeah. Like how do you, you know, it's that itch of like, I can't leave this thing. It's right there. No one's talking about it. Why don't we do that? I mean, it is technically a part of design. Exactly. Perhaps maybe we've, gone. I actually go back and forth on this a lot. I think at this point in time, in like 2021, designers are responsible for way too much. That might sound very controversial to some people. And I could be wrong. If you are listening to this episode, feel free to tweet me or leave a comment. But I feel like the expanse of the work of the designer has expanded so much in the past five years that we're starting to bleed into like other people's roles. (laughs) <laughs> all right so this is going to official designer's code <laughs> this is what we yeah no i mean it, yeah it's the code piece it's the business piece it's the project product manager piece that part a lot right it's like at what point do we get to a point where everybody can like be in arms and work together towards a solution versus like design educating people about oh no you should have been conscious about this area right like what about these people what about this experience, like you're saying, like, it's all designed, right? Like if somebody ends on a marketing page and gets into your app, I mean, that's a, that's a big part of it. That's part of the experience. Yeah. That's part of the experience. So we were just like reminiscing on this. Kat Velos, who was in a couple seasons ago, which sounds like a long time ago. Right. But it's, it's crazy. <laughs> so she, she organized this group called Bay Area Black Designers, which some of y'all may have heard about. And that's where... We met, we met one of, I think maybe at a couple of functions. It's crazy, man. I was in San Jose driving up to Oakland. I remember that. I remember yeah. that. And I was like, you gotta, you gotta move to Oakland or something. I know, <laughs> I know. I know. So I know. It's like, and yeah, like six years later, I moved somewhat closer. I'm in Hayward now. Okay, that's close. That's as close as you need to get. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's like a 15 minute drive. It's not too I remember long. we were all like, so impressed and like amazed that you would come from so far. But then again, what I kept seeing with this thing that Kat had started was like, sometimes people were flying in. Like sometimes it was like a person that was like, I just moved here from this state and I'm 
here right now. Like, no, I left, like, I packed my apartment and now I'm at this meeting. So it was, uh, yeah, it was it's amazing to see how far people would go to, like, make community in that space. Yeah. I think it's also just, like, reflecting on it. I think it's pretty special to think that people thought so highly of this group to dedicate the effort. And I think specifically around product design, I mean, you know, at least on the on the West Coast, I can only speak from where I've been, but at least, you know, I grew up in the Midwest. Nobody's talking about product design. You know, I was all about like the Starbucks, but that's not, you know, a lot of the folks weren't thinking about product design. And then getting out into the West, it's like, yeah, this is the place they talk about it. But in terms of people that look like us, there weren't any. And most people leading the discussions definitely didn't look like us. And so I can still remember just running the halls of Pandora on the weekend. Yeah, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> We're Kat and I are walking down the hallways with people and I'm helping her usher people up to the, yeah. yeah. Hey, I remember that. Like Kat was running it out of, out of her apartment in Berkeley. I remember that. And I was like, maybe it was at the third or fourth one. And it was like me, her, and someone else. It was just like four, you know, three people sitting in the living room talking. And I remember I was like, hey, like, because this was before she joined Pandora. I was like, you know, I got like open access on the weekends. Like, if you just want to keep coming, like, they're, they're not going to say anything. No one cares. Like, it's great. We have the whole office space. You're like, really? Like, yes, let's start. <laughs> so Saturday mornings, I get that like 9 a.m. from Kat. Like, hey, what's going on? Are you ready? And I'm like. And Kat's like a, a go go person on the Saturday. I'm like, yeah, sure. Like, I'm getting <laughs> <laughs> run down to Pandora, meet Kat, you know, bring some snacks and like just be so happy to see everybody show up. So like that was the the early days of, of Babby. Yeah. 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 So you were working at Pandora back then. And I think since you've been at Instacart. Yep. Yep. Were you somewhere else between then and there? Okay, yeah. Uh, let's see. It was Pandora, Facebook, Instacart, and uh, now Twitter. There we go. I tell, there we go. I tell people I did like the the theoretical reverse of what people probably suggest. <laughs> you go to Silicon <laughs> Valley. Like everyone's always like, you know, go to startup. You know, get your get your feet wet, learn that. And then you know, maybe you go to like a bigger one. Like at that point, you know, you kind of see everything you learn, and then you go somewhere where you chill out. Like you're gonna chill out for a little bit, but then you've gotten like a different level. You've learned some things. And it was like, I did the inverse of that. I started Pandora, which was the very chilled, oh, I could be here forever place. And then it was like, they got acquired. And I was like, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went to Facebook, which is maybe the only one that fit in the order of like this big scale, you know, company. And, you know, things were going on then. So I was like, okay, this isn't quite the fit for me to stay that long. And then I go to the startup. <laughs> so it was like I went completely out of order probably by some people's calculus but i think it was always about just following what i was interested in you know the most and what aligned with my values at that given time you know that was most important yeah well maybe maybe take us through that origin story of how you got to be where you are today man so i'm going to tell you because it's a very like it's a it's a serendipitous story but i think it's also an indicator of like some of the barriers and you know some of the things that happen out of chance or privilege or whatever can happen so like i was at at Delta for four years. So I was working as a contractor. I was like, okay, I'm put, I'm getting a lot professionally in terms of the skills and experiences, but this isn't really lining up to be a long-term opportunity. I got to find something else to do. So this is the funny part of the story. I was like, I got to get to South by Southwest. Like, I just need to start talking to more companies. I need to get out there. At this point, being in Atlanta and possibly you may have seen this like in the Midwest, because you don't have a lot of local examples of like how to look for design work, how to talk about your design work, what projects you should be taking. I probably spent like a year just studying the resumes of people who were in the Bay Area, some folks in New York, because I was like, this is the only approximation I have. And ironically, Paul Stamatio, I think that's how I say it. He's never told anyone how to say his name, but he goes by Stammy. Some call him Stammy. By then, he had left Atlanta, had already you know, started at Twitter, and he was literally one of the people I would look at his resume or his portfolio and just like, oh, this is how we should talk about it. So I was working at Delta, finessed my way to like go to the trip to South by Southwest. So wait, what, you, what year was this? This was like 2015. This is 2015. So I'd already started talking to Google, but I wasn't like sure that's where I wanted to go. And so I go to South by Southwest. And mind you, like, this is my first time really going, but I knew I had friends that would always go. 
I had like one friend from years ago that was like involved in it in the early 2000s. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to go to Twitter and just log in for like the first time I have in maybe eight months. <laughs> and like, hey, any of my friends here? And so one of one guy I knew, Jamal Orr, he's over at DoorDash now. He used to live in Atlanta. He's in Brooklyn. And I was like, you know, he hits me. I'm like, bet. I knew you were here. I'm glad you're here. We're going to find each other. And then the next person that replies to me was like the head of diversity at Pandora, Lisa Lee. And I was like, by then, me and my wife, we had talked about California. We said it would be the Bay Area. We're like, but whenever that happens, you know, we don't know. And by the way, this all came out of like you going to South by Southwest? Going to South by Southwest. So was it like a networking thing or, or what? You know what? It was like, so Delta was having, you know, they were sending a team there, folks, just to like actually be involved. They had their own little activation, you know, so we were going for that purpose. I also had the purpose of, I need to get more exposure to other things. I'm just going to be transparent about that. And so, yeah, Lisa Lee just hits me up and is like, hey, want to catch up? And I'm like, who's this person? I don't know who this is. And I'm like, yeah, sure. So like, she's like, yeah, we have an activation. Just come by, you know, check it out. And I'm like, cool. And, you know, everybody's going to the Spotify house. People are coming back and forth to Pandora house. And I walk in and I meet, like, I start meeting the team. But I'm not really aware of what's happening. You know what I mean? Yeah, this is your yeah, first yeah. time engaging. Yeah, you're like, I'm so excited. Yeah, yeah. Did she slide into the Twitter DMs? Is that what that was? So she replied, she replied top line. And then she, like, went to the DMs. Uh, and I was like, I was yo, like, the, the, back, the back channel on Twitter is a whole this different world. It's own network. It's his yeah. own network. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, I go to the, I go to the activation. I start meeting people. Lisa's there. We're talking. And then up walks, up walks, you know, one of the folks there. And I'm like, okay. And like Tim Westerman's like over there. Like these people are just a few feet away from me. So you're like, oh, okay, cool. And she's like, yeah, just stay here and talk with Tony for a little bit. I gotta, you know, go. I was like, cool. Yeah, cool. Like, hey, man, how you doing? Like, all right, talking to Tony. I was like, oh, how long have you been with like Pandora? Like 10 years. Oh, man. Yeah. That's wow. That's a long time. You know, and I'm just like talking to him, chilling. And then, like, we could kind of hear the Spotify house, I think, in the distance. So we started talking about that. And I was like, yeah, man, like, how do you feel, like, with Spotify? What do you think Pandora is going to do differently? And he's like, well, I can't tell you a lot, but let's play a guessing game. And the game was if I, you know, asked the question, he might nod or he might not make a facial expression. Sure, sure, sure. He walks off. You know, Lisa comes back. This is like 30-minute conversation. She was like, oh, wow, that was that was really good. You were talking with Tony for a while. I was like, yeah, he's a really nice guy. You know, he's walking around his flannel or whatever. I'm like, yeah, he's cool guy. She was like, no, that's that's really good. That's the VP of design. And I was like, oh, I was going to ask. I was like, who who's this Tony guy? Yeah. And I was like, what did I say to this man over the 30 minutes? I was like, please tell me I didn't just say the wrong thing. She was like, no, you've been talking with him for 30 minutes. Were you like, hey, nice to meet you, the design journalist. <laughs> Call me the journalist. <laughs> And so he walks back up. He's like, hey, man, I got to run. But he's like, are you going to be in California? And I was like, yeah, actually, next week, you know, I'm, I'm coming out there. And he's like, you just come by the office. And I'm like, cool, sure. Yeah, I'll drop by. Still not fully aware of what really is happening in front of me. That's how that happened. That was my first role. But on the flip side, there's like some privilege involved, right? It's like, how do you get to that conference? That's the first barrier. Yeah. And those tickets are expensive. And those tickets are expensive. And then someone, just someone actually looking for a person that looks like you, that's the other side of it. And so that was something that, like, for me, I was like, it was just by chance that I was able to advocate, get myself there, then have a person say, come to this thing, and then be talking to the VP of design. This all happens within a round of, like, maybe 48 hours. There's some privilege and some luck that happens in these scenarios. In big extroversion energy i don't know if i had it but i was ready that, for that, it i mean but that feels exhaust i mean in the, that short amount of time and talking to people you don't really know yeah and then you know what happens on top of that and that's the weekend that kendra drops to pimp a butterfly it's a lot so it was like too much happening so i remember me jamal or and a couple of our friends you know a couple of guys that we all knew we're all standing outside because it's getting to the verge of the music portion of the festival. And then someone's like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's like, wait, well, the album dropped. And we're like, who's that? What are you talking about? Kendrick. Kendrick's album dropped. All of us stop talking to each other. We're standing in the huddle like we're in some black man tech cipher. <laughs> but no one's rapping. Everybody's just looking to download the link. And then literally everyone's like, all right, cool. I got a break. All right, yeah, yeah. Like later. I'll talk to y'all later. Everyone goes to their different Airbnbs and then is messaging each other on Twitter DMs about the album but everyone's in isolation so it was like a weekend of just 
exhaustion in that sense. But uh, again, I mean, and that's a beautiful album sonically. You got to be in your own space, man. And everyone knew that for some reason, all of us were like, we have no time to talk to each other. We'll catch up tomorrow. Let's go digest this, you know. But that was the entry point to my career in, in tech, at least in California. Yeah. And then you kind of mentioned it was more or less kind of in your head where you thought were the best moves. Like, is there any sort of like checklist that you go to or is it just sort of an evolution? Because I think a lot of times, like you've mentioned before, well, some people want to go from a startup and then go big or they might do the opposite. And so there's not really too much logic on that. And I think maybe the explanation might be growth in the sense of more control or more money. What kind of drove you? I think, honestly, that sort of scenario I was describing around what people prescribe as like this linear trajectory, I found out for me that didn't really make sense. And just to be like very real, coming from a market outside the Bay Area, you're going where you're going to get a good offer <laughs> and you feel like it makes sense. So you're not going to be parsing like, well, it's not a startup. Sorry, I'm going to have to decline this. Like, no, if this is your first entry, that's what's going to dictate what you do. And then we have some like sort of requirements on top of it. It was like, okay, if we're leaving Atlanta, it has to be a city that feels approximate to Atlanta. And it was like, well, that's Oakland for me. That was like, okay, that's Oakland. Like that's the city. So then what places do you work in Oakland? I might work in the city, but oh, Pandora's there. You know, there are a few others. There was a band camp and a few other places. I wasn't looking specifically at music, but those places were there. And so I was like, well, what do I find in Oakland? And it just so happened that the one company that I was, I would love to work there just happened to be the people that reached out to me. So it wasn't a, it wasn't as strategic. And I think now the sense of growth wasn't about the company, but it was about what I needed most at that time. And so I stopped thinking about the externalities of where is this company company at? It was more about what do I need and what place is going to give me the most. And it doesn't matter sometimes, you know, it actually matters very little once I'm compensated fairly. I don't, I'm not wrapped up into the, well, what stage are you? Like, if this is the place, this is the place. So I've become a little, I've become a lot less prescriptive. My list has grown. I think we learn more and like the more places you go, that has changed my requirements of like, what do I need in a place? So speaking of the places you go, so you're originally from Atlanta, and when we met, you were in Oakland. You're living in Oakland, and then you just recently moved back to Atlanta. So what was really the motivation behind that? You know, honestly, before I'd even moved to the Bay Area, I had this idea, and this was from years ago. I was like some naive undergrad, and I was like, one day I'm going to have a house in Atlanta, and I just came back from a study abroad internship and I was like, and I'm going to have me a house in Cape Town. Somehow that's going to happen. And then I'm going to have a house in California. You did the study abroad in Cape Town? Yes. Yes. And I almost did not come back to the United States. <laughs> I almost did not come back. Maybe I should pit stop and talk about that because that might have been the first spark. I was a pre-law major. I was not in design. I was a pre-law major. I had computer science minor and sociology minor and technically probably had English, but I didn't really want to chase those credits. I was like, double minors, good, chill out. <laughs> you don't need to do all that. And so none of that lines up with design, except that when I was like 12, 10, nine years old, I was always sketching and drawing inventions to the point that my mom would take me to the patent library and I would sit there and study and look and see if my ideas were there. And that was like a phase of like four years. And then somehow it stopped. I don't know what was happening to me as a teenager. It just stopped. But in my head, I was like, well, if I ever want to license anything, I can't afford a lawyer. So go be a lawyer for the things you want to make. I don't know what, what I was thinking as an 18-year-old. <laughs> like, that didn't make any sense. Like, dude, you don't have to do that. And the time that I learned that was that study abroad sort of like session where we were all in Cape Town for a summer. And you got to pick these focus majors because it was a high focus density coursework. You were getting a full semester's credits in one summer. So, I mean, it was intensive, but it was also kind of chill. And so you could pick law and society and economics and so on so forth. Or you could pick media and arts. And there was another humanities one. And I was like, well, let me take this media and arts. I'm loving film. And, you know, I don't want to tell anybody, but like, that's what I kind of wanted to do. I didn't have guts to go to UCLA when I got like a letter that came back. I was like, I don't. I remember like taking that going, well, that's nice. Like mom's not helping pay for that. <laughs> you know, like literally just kind of put it to the side. So I signed up for this media and arts track in addition to law and society. And what they're doing is you're then getting a camera and you're getting equipment and it could be film. It could be a video camera. It could be just static. 
And they're telling you to shape a narrative based on the things you're seeing and learning. So at that point, I'm being like primed with like documentary thinking. And I came back from like this trip that was supposed to be the end of it. Two of my friends have this internship at the District 6 Museum. And I was like, not ready to come home. So I called my mom up and I'm like, hey, mom, a couple of my friends are transferring and I'm, I'm not thinking I'm going to research that. She's like, uh, but research what? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I think I want to like see if I can transfer school. She's like, to where? <laughs> I'm like, uh, Cape Town, University of Cape Town. She's like, bruh, you are going into your senior year. <laughs> you will be losing half of your credit. She's like, I could tell you that off the bat. So you're going to start over as a sophomore? She's like, you're not a citizen. You get no financial aid. Finish your next two semesters. Then come talk to me. She's like, but guess what? I'll go ahead and like help you out. I'm going to do you solid. I'll send you a little extra money. Go for the internship. And my, so it was weird. Like my mom was this very like, supportive force of like, yeah, I'll take you to the Pat Library. I'll give you the chemistry kits, but also like that voice of reason, like, bro, you just worked three years and you're going to give up two of them? <laughs> go for the next year. If you want to go back, that's cool. And yes, I'll support you in staying for a little longer, but chill out. And that was the thing that shifted me maybe a little bit into design before I had this real firm idea of this is what I wanted to do. Right. So how does that all kind of bring you back to Atlanta then? Man, so I come back, you know, obviously I, I went to Morehouse, so that was the school that I was in the study abroad sister school program. And it was like, that was wild. There's like 80 students from Savassar and Spelman and Morehouse and like all these colleges in Cape Town, 80 students in a lot. Wow. Right. So it was like this hyper real world. <laughs> there are people from all over the world, Romania, Australia, throughout Africa, the Caribbean, everywhere. And so we're having these very intense conversations at that time. George Bush is president and they're asking us, they're talking to civil rights about us. And we're like, we've never had a black president. Y'all are doing a little bit better than us. <laughs> like, We're not there yet either. Uh, so you were having these very interesting conversations. But yeah, I came back to Morehouse, started at a law firm working in an intellectual property department, thinking that was supposed to what I wanted to do. I was finished LSATs, accepted to Berkeley. My mom's like, cool, you're going to law school. It sounds great. This is great press. I can write this up. Literally, this woman had an article taken out <laughs> in the paper about me going to law school. And I was like, and at this point, I knew that wasn't happening. And I was like, Mom, I'm just working at the law firm to pay for me to go back to school. She's like, oh, for what? Yes. Yeah, so and she's like, but it was too late. There's literally a cutout that she had. And one of my friends had asked me about it. He's like, oh, man, congrats. Like, law school. I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, it's in the paper. And I'm like, what paper? What are you talking about? And I had to break it to her at that point. I was like, I'm going to go back to school for visual design. And she's like, what is that? And I'm like, all those times you were watching me sketch and diagram and want to build things. It's kind of like that. She's like, what about the lawyer part? I was like, that stuff's not fun. I was like, I'm in a law firm with banker boxes and filing and doing all this paralegal work. I was like, I don't want to do that. And she's like, as long as you're happy and you can pay your bills. <laughs> that's, that's fine by me. That, that short and sweet mom support. Yes, but, you know, she wasn't really feeling it, but she's like, you're a man. I'm going to have to let you go off and do this. Yeah, you're out of my house now. Yeah, like, that's cool. Just don't be back here, bro. <laughs> like, <laughs> go hustle, young man. That's fine. <laughs> the future of work is here at Automatic. The people behind WordPress.com, Jetpack, WooCommerce, Tumblr, and more. Join a team of diverse global perspectives. Create the work environment and schedule that empowers you to perform at your very best. At Automatic, what matters is the work you produce, not how many hours you put in. Work from anywhere you choose. There are automatications working right now in 79 countries around the globe. The intellectual and cultural diversity that results is critical to the company's success. Automatic believes in constant learning and offers mentorship and personal coaching to support your growth. As a small company with a huge footprint, Automatic offers you the chance to have an impact and make a difference. If you're ambitious, energetic, and driven by a passion to help people, you can make a visible, profound, and lasting difference working at Automatic. Visit automatic.com to check the latest job listings. That's A-U-T-O-M-A-T-T-I-C.com. So, well, let's maybe kind of shift. So right now you're in Atlanta. 
you're kind of gone full circle of your first tech job from a DM on Twitter. And now you're at Twitter. Like, yeah, that's crazy, right? It's wild. It's so wild to me. And like, I remember explaining that in the interview at Twitter because I did this thing of like my top five tweets. I like this tweet with a photo of Janelle Monet. And it was like one of was performing here. This is the first album. And I had this shot. It was like, to me, the perfect shot. Got the shot. And I remember like right after the shot, she looked. And so I was locked into that moment. So I made that tweet. And she replies to it. And I was like, wait, what? What's going on here in my life? So that was one. But one of the other ones was the one about tweeting at South by Southwest and that leading me now to the interview with Twitter. Great. That's probably a good story. And they were probably like, whoa, <laughs> that's, 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 that's an amazing story. It was, it was a funny one. Yeah. It's funny how these things happen. And, and I, I'm assuming, does Twitter have an office in Atlanta now or is it just kind of like a full remote thing? It does. And I have never seen it. <laughs> like, like it's in Pond City Market. It's a great structure that has a couple of companies inside. I think Pinterest, uh, Twitter, a few others. I think Mail- MailChimp probably is in there. But yeah, I've never seen it inside of this place because I started during the pandemic. So yeah. Well, I love that. Like there's so many little circle things in this conversation because I think there's sort of the Twitter DM, but I think also kind of touched on this really briefly about being at home or being in a place that's very familiar where you have the community and the whole tech vibe is actually moved to Atlanta, is moving to Atlanta. It's thriving and healthy. And so I think has this kind of brought a new way of focus for you? Like where are you seeing the biggest changes given the environment that you're in now? Oh, man. I mean, I think there's just a lot of things that have changed over time. Like, I remember leaving Atlanta, but when I was leaving, Yik Yak was still around. They were just kind of getting started. And I remember we were doing like this tour through Atlanta Tech Village. And I remember hanging by just a little bit longer with them. They're just talking like, so uh, how's your team? Like, <laughs> again, splitting off from Delta, man. Delta was getting shaded a few times. <laughs> they were doing like this little tour of this of the Atlanta Tech Village. And Nicole Jones, like an amazing leader there, like she was facilitating a lot of this stuff so that they would like get to more of an innovation sort of approach. And so, I mean, what's changed is like around that time you have Jewel Burks, who's like at Park Pick at that point. She's starting her thing up. I remember running into her South by and I've seen her a few times since. And so like you're seeing like these little sparks, like she's a big spark, I would say. Like she wasn't a spark. That woman was a fire from the beginning. And so like I remember then like a few months later, maybe a year, she had the episode with, I don't know if it was Burge with Alexis Ohanian where he was interviewing, I think it was called Tiny Empires or something. And she was one of the people. So that was like a year after I left Atlanta. And I'm like, oh, I know her. And then I'm like, then this realization was happening in 2016, like the year after I left it, things were already changing in Atlanta without me. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, what is happening? And so every visit back home, we would see this thing or this structure. My neighborhood, which is like down from the AUC, there's this like 15,000 square foot building. What do you think it's sold for? What do you think it's sold for? Just just guess. Well, it, either it's sold for really cheap or a lot of money. Go cheap. Go cheap and see if you hit it. <laughs> are, we at, are we at like 300,000? No. Lower? Lower. Painful lower. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. How big was this building again? It sold for $50,000. And it is now like, yes. And it is now like going to be used as like a live work, not a live work, but more like a tech co-shared space. And do you know how painful that is to be in on the other side of the country? And this thing is a mountain. You could have bought that. Right. And I was like, but you had to be here to know these things were happening. And so that's what was kind of happening in Atlanta over that five year window that I was gone. So when I came back, I was like, okay, <laughs> hit up Joey Womack. Joey, what's going on? Like, and he's like, hey, you talk to this person, this person, and this cat named Ernest who runs Code House, uh, another like a younger, more awesome. He's like, go talk to Ernest. So I talked to Ernest. And he's like, yeah, we're setting up this program for kids around the country to be introduced to careers in tech. And I'm like, cool. You should go talk to like Twitter's like philanthropic arm. And then he talks to me. He's like, yeah, that, that went well. And I was like, cool. We don't have to talk about particulars. That's great. And so then I was like immediately just like coming back and like trying to connect people to get plugged in the room. So I've missed some things, but it's been great to see how much it's grown. You know, since I've been around. Well, I think one of the beautiful things about that too is you are now at an employer where you have that integration in the community. And it's not just singularly benefiting you, but it's benefiting the people that you've come up with 
man. And so like, and even if I didn't come up with them, it was like, we would contact, I would just kind of, hey, I'm from Atlanta, but I'm in California. You know, like that was always the intro story about being like, oh yeah, when you come back, like, let's talk. And like Alfonso Jordan, he's at Twitter now. He works with Collab Capital in terms of like helping, he's basically their designer residence, but he also runs the U Design Summit. And he has his own company. You start like rebuilding these relationships that you are kind of, maintain it until you could get back home <laughs> and just be like, okay, now let's go. Right. So maybe kind of tell me about something you're proud of that you've worked on at The Bird. I'll let you tell us. I'll let you tell us because it is a full story. <laughs> the story has begun and ended. <laughs> so, <laughs> so for all of you all that have been on Twitter, there was this very short-lived feature Please, you might say. called Fleets which was, for those that aren't familiar, very similar to Stories feature, the Snap kind of ephemeral kind of experiences. Yeah, maybe kind of take us through that, because I think one of the things I've been seeing at Twitter is this whole like design in public. And so maybe kind of tell us what that is and, and maybe kind of tell us about like your learnings from that experience of ramping something and de-ramping it. I've had some really interesting conversations around that. And then, you know, for me as a manager, I'm very like in a big company, (laughs) I'm very conscious of just like the resources it takes to ramp and de-ramp and then obviously build more applications on top of it, right? Like it just turns into big debt long term. So would love to maybe hear your perspective on that whole experience. Totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, like everyone knows Twitter's users are extremely vocal. And that's like, you cannot be at this place and not be comfortable with that. People approach it in different ways. Like some people have like their stealth work only accounts. Some people use their personals. I don't really know when it officially became a thing. But to me, I tend to tell myself or think that it actually started with Meyer Patterson's post back in June of 2020. The one around the audio tweets and all that stuff. And I think that was the one that got the yeah, that was a big, big moment. It's wild because that was, it was like a, like, it had these weird moments. Like, that was like maybe one of the last weeks I was in Oakland. It was close to that. And I remember at least I knew I was getting the offer. And so, like, I was getting the offer while I'm watching this unfold. And I'm like, okay, like, we got to be ready for this because this is how people will respond. And there could be some layers. Was that- this around the lack of accessibility? Yes. Yes. That was exactly it. And so, then I so think here, let me, I'm going to provide some backstory. So Maya Patterson worked on sort of like audio snippets. And so usually with the tweets, you have limited characters. You could basically record a message from your phone and tweet it. However, there wasn't any sort of like transcription. And so folks that couldn't hear or were hard of hearing couldn't understand what was going on. And so it just led to this huge amount of backlash from accessibility professionals, you know, folks with those disabilities. And I think it it just caused a pretty big statement from Twitter in terms of just like, hey, we we messed up, right? Yeah. I mean, and I think that's the thing that like, there were a few layers to that, like, and to your point, like the resources that it takes. Like in that scenario, when you think about it, Maya didn't actually have to say anything. Maya could have let it roll out, not speak to it. And people would have still said that. But what happened was they then focused on the person that just happened to say, hey, I'm going to talk about this thing. And so when you think about the some of the points, once the, you know, the other teams started getting involved in PR, then the things that you realize that would have made it more successful or easy for people to understand would have happened. Like the first one was it was an experiment, but to people, it looks like a feature. And so just not even messaging that this is an experiment. We didn't get to that yet. Or like, let's do a change log that we're going to save what we're going to address. Like accessibility very literally would have been probably the next thing on that list. Was, was this a wide experiment or was it like a small cohort of folks? You know, I wasn't directly on the team, so I don't know those details. But I do know that in the course of it being an experiment, usually, or I think what the company has learned from that was like, oh, we should think about in advance how we do that. It's all fine for designers to talk to it, but PR and someone else should be supporting you know, those sort of things started becoming more formalized so that when you saw by the time Spaces started doing this more, Maya was ready. <laughs> she was like, I already know how to address this. And like being empathetic and being kind of like vulnerable in front of people, I think helped back on the previous project. But then it was a better practice that other people like, you know, she had a session where we would sit down and she would tell other teams, this is how we address these things. And this is why I still talk on my primary 
account. And so it, then we understood the coordination, like, okay, what is the PR messaging? How many people are watching? Who's kind of making sure that we're not missing any commentary or replies to us? Like that became more of the conversation. Um, and also what things did we miss that we want to be very forefront about that we will have in the next iteration or what things should we not go without? And so I think the whole company learned from essentially her example of how they kind of got through that. And now it was like, Spaces came back and they were the team that was like front and center talking to people in tweets and vocally. So it's like they kind of mastered that and modeled it for the rest of us. Yeah. So how did that sort of affect your approach? Like, sure, Janelle Monet is that every once in a while kind of happening you'll get or mention that you might get. But what, what was it like looking at sort of like the fleet's tweets during the, the lifespan I mean, man, it would be amazing sometimes when I would log in and I would see someone and be like, whoa, this person's using this. And I think the person that caught me was Kelly Rowland from Destiny's And she did like a full thing. It was like a full like sequence thing. For me, it was like partially like cool, but it was also painful because we knew the product was like in this very nascent stage. Or like we had all this long list of features. I had worked on Facebook stories. So I had come with like a lot of like hey, like these are the things we're going to add in. And the team had their own as well. So it was like, we all had this very clear idea of what we wanted the trajectory to be. So, I mean, you certainly had those moments when you log in and you're like, whoa, this person's using it. And then, then that would like kind of fuel you further. But for me, it was always interesting because I came in with a few questions about the product coming in. First one was the name. And then this is kind of like a learning thing of me learning like the culture of Twitter. I like wrote up this, like it turned into like a 60 page slide deck. Because I just went down this research hole in my first two weeks. In your first two weeks, you got time. So I was like, cool, we got time to talk about this name. <laughs> so went through this long research thing, and I had it in a one-on-one doc with my manager at the time. And then I was like, ooh, let's take that out. Like, let me just take that out. We, I'm not ready to talk about that yet. But she had already opened the link. And she was like, oh, this is this is good. She's like, um, have you talked to some of the other people? Like, what other people have asked questions about this? She's like, go talk to this person, this person, this person. Cool. So I'm not really thinking much about it. And then I'm having my first director meeting, like one of my directors. And he's like, oh, yeah, like, by the way, towards the end of it, like, oh, yeah, I read that document on name. I was like, how'd you get it? He's like, oh, you know, your manager sent it to me. It's really good. I think I'm going to send it to Kayvon. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean? I was like, I just got here. <laughs> I haven't finished that. Is that a good idea? He's like, no, it's a, it's a good idea. He's like, these are really good questions because I was asking questions around identity groups that see that word completely differently. And if we're talking about a younger generation of users, the trends are generally that there are more queer identifying users in younger generations. So I was like, this doesn't feel good. And I was expecting like, okay, cool. My time at Twitter has been brief. <laughs> like, I thought that was going to happen. And instead, it wasn't that. It was a like, oh man, yeah, that's a good one. We didn't really get to that. We thought about it, but no one did a 60-page take on it. <laughs> We'll think about that. And then the other question was like black users. That was my other sort of like series of questions. And so every time I saw someone, a Kelly Rowland or someone else, sometimes they weren't formed. They were actually organically using it on their own. I would kind of take that information back. And we had like two amazing researchers, one in Atlanta, one in D.C., both black women. One of them was focused on black Twitter. And so we were forming this thing around it. And I was we were so close. And then when that happens, you're like, we're sunsetting it. Oh, <laughs> you're like, we didn't even, you're like, we didn't even. So you were just getting into like the, the black Twitter. Yeah. We were just getting into that perspective of it. And so what happened in the last 24 hours? Fleeting it. And so here I am sitting in Atlanta working on this product and black people are literally echoing back an era of Atlanta that I remember <laughs> through the thing that I made. And I'm like, no, <laughs> we're so close. <laughs> yeah. On the flip side, the way that things kind of work at Twitter is like a lot of things never die exactly, right? Like if you think back, this thing is just a, an ancestor or a descendant of Vine. Like when you really think about what happened with Twitter, Vine was there first also. And that by all means should have been the one. If, if Vine was well-formed, there would be probably no TikTok. Let's be really honest. For real. And so, <laughs> right, right there, there you go. Like... So many things, so many sound bites, little like cultural identifiers came out of that. So when I look at Fleece in that perspective, I'm like, okay, this is like another progression towards what hopefully will be the correct sort of integration of this whole thing. Yeah. I mean, I think the cultural significance of potentially having an impact on Black Twitter. 
I'm still fighting for it because I'm like, there's still a lot. There's some other projects that like I would say I'm very proud of, but I can't talk about those. So I have to be very chill about those. But there's a lot of significant portions of Black identity and expression that are still underway. But, you know, when you're that early in a feature, you're like, we haven't gotten to the good stuff yet. Like, this is just the baseline, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I think, yeah, the resources thing, it's like the more you build into these features that people want, if it's not necessarily hitting that mark, you still have to maintain that code. And new applications potentially can get built off of it. And at the end of the day, you've got just a lot of things that you have to think about with that, I'm assuming probably a fairly modest sized team. Yeah. I mean, like our engineers, man, they have been amazing. Like there's one guy I'm going to shout out, Richard Plum, who actually came over with Vine. So like he still has, he still protects and maintains code from then. Like he still makes sure that some things are accessible because again, nothing ever really dies. And if you're like, oh, we used to do this thing, that thing that you and I did, a boomerang or anything that we did. There's now a 13-year-old who never, he was two years old. He was like the object of a boomerang when it was like really used probably, but it's new to them. And so it's like, you're kind of sometimes revisiting something and going, well, what does it mean now to this new person that is the new voice? Because we're not always the voice anymore, you know? So it's amazing when these engineers are like, yeah, I was talking about this like five years ago. And you're like, what? <laughs> and then you're like, okay, well, let's pull it up again if you can stomach it, because this is new to me, you know? And then you start going through to figure out what is this organization now? What's the zeitgeist? What is the lexicon? What are people talking about now? How does this thing fit? So Twitter has a wealth of things, I think, in the backlog. Well, hey, I want to kind of shift a little bit away from work. You know, what is something that you're obsessing with at the moment? Man, I have been obsessing a lot about, as a designer, now I'm getting more into writing. Like, speculative script writing and like all these different sort of things that I've kind of always had, but I was looking at it in a different angle. So like, shout out way back to the law firm. I'm going to rewind. While I was working there for like a year and a half, once I was like taking classes for film and theater and all this stuff, I started studying film scripts. I would do this thing where I would have a banker box full of boxes. That was my assignment. Clear through the boxes, pull the things in, scan it in. Like That was why I was like, I'm not doing this law stuff. Because <laughs> even if I don't have to be the person scanning it, eventually I would be the attorney having to read it anyway. Don't want to do that. My little side hustle was I would download scripts, print them out, load them into one banker box, take that banker box home and just study scripts and read scripts all day. And like, that was like a thing that I would do for fun. Like it was weird. And at one point, like I finally like recycled all those. It was like moving from Atlanta to Oakland. I was like, oh man, this is, this is a period in my life. And I remember putting all those in recycling bin because you don't need to do that anymore. <laughs> you can put it on the Kindle, you put it on the iPad. You don't have to carry like 50 pound boxes of scripts to study them. And now I've just been spending more time writing. So I'm like writing a few narrative pieces. I have like one speculative piece. I have one like sci-fi fiction series that I might start in a draft out. And right now, Kat and I have talked about this because it's been a few years. And so I've been writing a lot and reading a lot. So like how much have you written? Like how many pages? So for the speculative script, I mean, I can say with that for a show that's on Netflix, that's a city that I've Wait, what? So you got something going into production? Not in production. I wanted to. But the process of getting a speculative script to a show that's already in function when you are like getting an agent, that's its own process. So I'm in that phase. You have but an agent now. I'm reviewing a few. So I have a few people that I'm like, I want to like. So that's the other side of things. Like you can sit there and you're doing design and all this stuff. But let me tell you the most painful part of this process. So a few weeks ago, one of my friends met him back at Pandora and his family was doing this amazing like road trip through the country and they're just documenting all this. So they stop in Atlanta. So their first day, so yeah, let's meet us over in Decatur. We're going to have like some Korean barbecue. All right, cool, bet. So we're sitting there eating and he nudges me. And this is like a really close friend, Filipino cat named PB Odiamar. And he's now started drawing and writing his own comic book series. He's gotten his deal. I've like kind of given him notes on a few of those. So like we talk about this now, these two things that are outside of design that we do. And he nudges me and he's like, hey, man. I'm like, what? He's like, look. Donald Glover. Oh my God. On the other side of the restaurant. Why did I hear this? Think about this coming up. Tell me. And I was like, oh my God. He was like, does he have it yet? And I was like, no. He's like, why don't you airdrop? And I was like, I don't know if that's a good idea. <laughs> He's like, and I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. He's like, why not? I was like, they're actually sometimes 
told to not accept things that are not from an agent. Like you, you shouldn't do it. I was like, I do have a few people. I'm just kind of waiting, trying to work. And he's like, and so it was so funny because we were kind of having this very like adult conversation. Meanwhile, our server, this kid was stressed because he wanted to go over there and say something to him. And by the time he did, you know, Donald's bodyguard was like, no, 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 kid. And the poor kid for the rest of the dinner was like trying to like keep his composure, but he was so like heartbroken. And like, and then we eventually say to him, like, it's okay, man. I was like, I wanted to say something to him too. And he's like, he's like, yeah. He's like, I don't know if I'm gonna get over this one for a while. And I'm like, I hope I do. <laughs> because I have a plan. So did you did you airdrop it? No, I did not. I did not do that. There's a process and I'll, I'm adhering to it, but the folks are here filming and so I keep it on me. But I have like three versions of that. So I have like three versions of that script for that team, one around each character of the show. I can't really say more about that one. And then for the sort of three-piece novel, I've just been like writing around characters. And it's really weird. The process is, it was something I'd never tried before, but I was listening to music and it made me think of a specific person. And so now what I do is I'll turn on music, I'll think about a character, and then I'll write something about the character. And maybe they're in this story and maybe this is a person that doesn't fit in this world. And so now a lot of times when I'm listening to music, I'm not just listening. I'm now like forming a world around a person, world building around them in the relationship to these other people and then going, OK, cool, like keep going. So it's pages on that are, are dense, but they're like spread out like the minority report thing. It's just like Tony Stark's just everywhere right now. I got to pull them in. So would you say that like obviously throughout this story, writing has been a big part of just your experience? I think so. More than I gave it credit. <laughs> Write a 120 character tweet and then you get a job. Like, bro, what are you writing? <laughs> like, it's, it's spectrum. It's like repurposing your talents. I think that's part of it. And like as designers, like we're all told that like, or hopefully at some point someone tells us how important storytelling is. Like, yeah. And that's probably been the thing. Like me almost getting that English major, but always, or minor, but always being like, oh, I love writing or I love reading or you know, all that stuff. That was just part of it. Shout out to LeVar Burton, man. He should have. Yeah, that man has really sparked a lot. And I'm real mad right now. <laughs> so on the whole, like, skills piece, I actually just tweeted about this the other day. And this is like, at least meeting with, you know, a ton of designers transitioning into the field, right, from various backgrounds. And, you know, I think like, that's a part of just like, this linear narrative, everyone really tries to fit into it and they don't really embrace their passions and talk about it and add it to their story. And I, I'd assume for you, probably you didn't put that English piece or talk about your passions, but it definitely showed up in that huge presentation when you started at Twitter. Yeah, 60 pages yeah. of writing. Like your manager's probably like, yo, what? But at the same time, you know, you know, you could probably be like, you know, this is light work for me, you know? It was like, you know, some days of like sitting down writing and like you're going down and researching something the way you would if you were designing it. If you're just talking about how does this relate to people? How do people perceive this? It's not really that much different. You know, you're just changing the focus. Exactly. So it looks like you hit like two birds and one stone on that one. I think there's some great advice for designers, like, you know, really kind of getting into writing and... I think sometimes, like, I've written a lot over the past, like, five years. I think now I'm just starting to get over the hump of actually sharing it. Finding people that you can share things with is so critical. It's so critical. But now I think I have a, a bit more confidence in it now. But I'm, like, releasing stuff that's, like, four years old. And I have to, like, go in and be like, oh, no one uses that anymore. Or, you know, the context is definitely different now. Yeah, I mean, it's like you can always update things, though. Like, once you have it there, if the essence of it is what you care about, changing little things, that's part of it. But, yeah, I definitely have found people along the way. Like, Ed Materi, he's in the Bay Area. Like, I send him stuff sometimes. He is a director. PB, who I mentioned, I send him, like, versions of these different scripts and different things. And there's a few other people. I'm, I feel like I'm drawing a blank on somebody. I hate when I do that because I'm going to hear about it. <laughs> It's okay, because you know what's yeah. going to happen. You're what? probably going to be like in your director's credits at some point. <laughs> Shout out you know, to someone, I, I'm, I'm saying in due time, they'll get their due recognition. 
All right, you said it in due time. That's a goody mob classic, man. That is uh, really, I like that. That is one of my favorite songs. Like we did we didn't even get I had I had Maurice Cherry on the show during SF Design Week and we started talking about some Atlanta music. We didn't even get in any Atlanta music on this one. Um that would probably be a whole other episode. Bruh, I literally have like when Atlanta started, I started spinning up these playlists like that go correspond with episodes just because for the fun of it. But there was this one episode where he is going through a metaphor of Pandora when they go to the, was it Savage Beast? That's the place they go to. That used to be the name of Pandora. And so I'm watching the episode in Oakland. Yeah, I'm watching the episode in Oakland like, do y'all understand? And I was working at Pandora then and I was like, Savage Beast means Pandora. But look, I work at Pandora. And I was like, wait, what is going on here? So like. Wow. Well, well, look, I think uh, if we want to follow up on that, Rafe will give you ways to reach him so how where can we find more about you how can we connect with you right now uh my main site rafe.is mainly because i chose that because i'm picking different things that i do so like the plan for my portfolio is really to like put rafe.is writing rafe.is designing rafe.is doing something else because as a designer it felt very constraining to be like i'm only pushing pixels like that's not that's not my reality as a black person in design that's not <laughs> how I feel design or experience it. So Rafe that is. I haven't done a whole lot yet. I've been like getting ready to do the refresh on that one. Yeah, it's a good place to find me. Or LinkedIn or Twitter. My God, you'll find me on there being you know, me being pithy sometimes or saying silly stuff. I try to keep it mellow <laughs> while I'm at work. On work. It's different. Well, uh, Rafe the Generalist to Rafe the Renaissance, man. Thanks for being hey, on the show. You know, that's what they told us we'd be at Morales. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that happened, but <laughs> I'll take it for today. Yeah, you're well on your way. You're well on your way. Like I say, in due time, right? Yes, sir. Hey, again, thanks for being on the show. Believe me, this is great. And for folks listening, always leave us a rating. You can find us on technicallyspeakinghw.com and on Instagram and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.